the first Sunday of the month, and what that means is it's all-in Sunday. So our uh, children and our students are, and adults were all in this room together. Isn't that fun? What that also means is I'm going to invite our kids to head on back to the tables. And as they're heading back, I am going to invite the one and only Brian Tabor to the stage. Brian is our pastor of students, and uh, he's going to open the text this morning and teach us. Before he does, I'm going to pray for him. God, thank you so much for Brian. Thank you for his presence here at Bay Marin. Thank you for his ministry to all of us. God, I pray that as he speaks this morning, that his words would be your words. May your spirit move through him and speak to each one of us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Happy New Year. How many people went out of town for the New Year? Got like four of you. Cool. Uh, I, uh, I got to go home, uh, see my family that lives back in Texas for the holidays. It was great because uh, I looked at the weather before I went, and it was uh, supposed to be raining and in the 40s, so I dressed up in my rain jacket and pants and coats. And uh, I got there, and it was 85 and sunny, so... Um, <laughs> Yeah, what are you going to do? So I was nice and hot while I was there. Yeah, it's the new year. Um, I, I, love, I love this time, um, especially for people that are in school, because guess what? Uh, you don't have to be in school right now. And so it's kind of this, this period in between different things. Uh, here at Bay Marin, we just finished our, our series on Ruth, and Matt was saying we're going to start a series on the body. And so we're kind of in the middle of these two different periods waiting for, for something new. Um, and so for my time, what I, what I did, um, unlike most people at the end of the year, I had a lot of extra spare time on my hands. And so I was really productive, and I spent my time uh, watching movies, reading some books, uh, and just kind of catching up on stories that I'd heard about that I needed to, or people said, you should check this out, you should watch this, you should read this. And so I spent my time reading uh, different stories and watching movies and TV shows uh, and, and that kind of stuff. And... I, I loved it. I was captivated by, by all these different stories. Um, I want you to think about your favorite story, whether it's a book, it's a movie, it's a TV show, a real life, a documentary, it doesn't matter. Just think about your favorite story. And I want you to think, what was, what was the main point of that? What was the thrust? What was the premise behind that? Who are the characters? Did you care about them? Was there a hero in the story? Was there a villain? Was it compelling? Did everything tie together in the end? And chances are, if you can think of your favorite story, you can remember a lot of those, if not all of those, those facts. You've probably seen a movie or read a book where you've, you've cried or laughed out loud, and it left an impression on you. I remember once I, uh, there was a book series that had come out, and uh, one of the books came out, and it was shorter than the last one, and I felt like I got robbed of something. I'm like, there should be more there. Like, I, I want more of this story. Because I think, in the end of it, like, we're addicted to a good story. We love when there's some sort of big reveal or big twist at the end, and it has our attention. We're so wrapped up in it that nothing else in the world really matters in that moment. And it seems like all the air in the room is just kind of sucked out, and all that matters right now is how the story is going to move forward. And so right now, we're just on the other side of Christmas, and we've looked at the story of Jesus, of Savior, the Messiah, His birth. Um, but what we're going to talk about today is we're going to back up, kind of like a prequel, so we've already got the, the gist of it, the main point. But we're going to back up just a little bit, and we're going to get the beginning of that. So if you would turn with me to Exodus chapter 19, 
going to go into the Old Testament. If you don't have a Bible, there's some in the chairs right in front of you. You can grab one of those, or you can just kind of look on with your neighbor. I'm sure they won't mind. So like all good stories, we have to start with the premise. What's, what's the point behind this? So starting in Exodus 19, 1. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. So this is the story of Egypt, or of Israel, right after they fled from Egypt. So they, the ten plagues is gone, the parting of the Red Seas, they've done all that. So now they're the edge of a desert. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Now these, these words are, are part of, or the beginning of, a piece of what's known as the Mosaic Covenant. Uh, some people might also call it the law. So that's like the Ten Commandments, the, the rules of how you are to obey God and how you're supposed to have this relationship with Him. Now, rules sometimes, they can seem like really restricting, confining. Um, you're like, oh, there's this, this big r- rules of do's and don'ts, and we may like, kind of get upset about that. But I think rules sometimes aren't necessarily a bad thing. Think about a seatbelt. Like, it's your law to wear your seatbelt. And in a very literal, real way, it restricts you, Right? But I guarantee that when you need it, it's going to save your life. And you're going to be really thankful for that rule and for that law. Um, For the Jews in Israel, this law that was given to them, the Ten Commandments and all that stuff that was given to them, it wasn't seen as this list of do's and don'ts. As a matter of fact, it was seen as a gift from God, showing them how they could be in a relationship with God. As a matter of fact, even today, they still celebrate the giving of the law. They have this big celebration, a big festival that they do every single year commemorating the giving of the law. Now, the key to this, this point of what, of what God told Moses here, was that Israel, they're, they're stuck, right? They, they fled Egypt, a lot of them, from the only home that they've ever even really known. And they're in this desert, and they're just kind of wandering around. Like, God did something, but, but now what? What do we do? I don't have an identity. I'm just kind of this, this group of people wandering aimlessly in the desert. But God tells them, says, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, and you will be for me a holy nation. He gives them an identity. He gives them a purpose. He gives them hope, something to look forward to. And they don't really know how they're going to get there. They may not even know what that means, but they know that at some point in the future, God has a plan for them. He's written a story that they're a part of and that he's involved in. Now, so what, what is a holy nation? What is a priest? So for a priest, as Israel is going to come to find out, is a mediator between God and man. They're the ones who bear the responsibilities of the sacrifice, the ones who make it possible for God and man to be in a relationship. And so it's a a very vital and important role. Now, for the holy nation, what does that mean? Why, Why do I even care about that? Like, okay, so we're going to be a holy nation. 
What that means in a very simple way is just this people is set apart as something special for God. And there's a lot more to it than that, but in the basic, simplest way, this people, this group of people is set apart as special to God. And the best way that I can think about that is like a marriage. Whenever you can look at all the people in the world and you say, I choose you to spend the rest of my life with. And that's what God is saying, out of all the created things, out of everything in this world that I have set up and I have created, that I choose you, this people, as special. And I have a plan for you. And it's, I've given you an identity to become this holy nation and this kingdom of priests. And so right now we have the pieces of a good story, right? We've got the premise. We've got this idea of, of, of reconciliation, of restoration of this people who right now don't really know where they're headed. And they're moving somewhere. And we've got our characters, obviously Israel. But we're missing a couple pieces. We're missing, as all good stories do, some sort of conflict. There's got to be at least a villain or, or something that gets in the way that impedes the progress. And we're also missing our protagonist, the hero of the story. And so if you're familiar at all with, with the story of Israel in the Old Testament, they, uh, they don't fit the character of a hero by any means. If you look at the book of Judges, you see God raising leader after leader after leader up because Israel was, was oppressed or they were in captivity or, or something happened where there wasn't a leader and God had to bring one out. And then if you look through kings, you have king after king after king who did bad. Over and over and over you see the phrase, again, Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Over and over and over again. Then Israel, they're exiled a couple of different times. They're taken out of their homeland. And this is happening over a long time, several generations, hundreds and hundreds of years. And I think a lot of times we're, we're really hard on Israel. Like, man, they did a lot of stupid stuff. They, they made a calf and, or a golden calf, and they said, let's worship this. Or they did this, and they did that, and we're really hard on them. But I think for us, we do a lot of things, too, that get in the way of what I believe God has for us. A lot of times, I don't think it's as obvious as building a golden calf, but it kind of sneaks in there behind. When I was uh, in college a few years ago, a while ago, I, uh, I was part of this organization that every, um, every couple of years, they would offer this internship to a student that was about to graduate. And it was a two-year internship. It was paid, which is killer. And uh, I was up for it, right? Like, I, I was about to graduate. I'm like, this is going to be awesome. I fit the bill. I'm a great candidate. Um, and I knew that I was wanted to go to seminary, and this internship would actually give you a scholarship in seminary um, once you finished it. You, you do your two years, then you go to seminary, they give you a scholarship. I'm like, this is, this is for me. The stars are lined up. The, red, the, the sea is parted. I'm about to walk through the middle, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this, this internship. And then they offered it to my roommate. I was like... <laughs> You gotta be kidding me, right? And he didn't even want it. He was like, I don't know, I might take it, I'm not really sure yet. I was like, dude, like, this is awesome. Uh, and I, I genuinely was happy for him. Like, I, I was really excited that, that he was offered this position. But myself, I was like, what about me? Like, okay, what's, what's going on? And so I had a choice that at that moment I could, I could be so consumed with jealousy and bitterness and, and burn bridges with my roommate and that organization. Or I could say, well, maybe God has something else in mind for me. And the story that God had written for me had a completely different trajectory. Uh, my friend now lives, my roommate, we're still good friends, he lives elsewhere, uh, and I'm standing here today. And so I'm very thankful that I didn't get that internship. As much as uh, I was bummed out at the time, I'm thankful that God had a different story in mind for me. And I think 
sometimes we get too wrapped up in other things that are going on in our lives that, that get in the way. I think we can be concerned about getting into the right high school or college. We can be concerned about our kids making the right team or getting all A's in school. Or maybe we're concerned about getting that promotion or that really great raise at work. And if we, uh, if we let it consume us and those things don't happen, it can get in the way, I believe, of the story that God has written for us. So if we go back to the story of Israel, the Israelites, they're waiting in the desert and they're wandering aimlessly. And they have this idea that I'm going to be a kingdom of priests. We're going to be this holy nation, but we're still not there yet. We're kind of stuck in the middle. So what, what gives? We're still waiting for our hero to come in. And that's when Jesus enters the story. The Messiah comes, and we, we know the story of Jesus. We know about the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. He's the one that they've been hoping for and they've been waiting for. And because of what he did on the cross, he's able to reconcile humanity to himself. And he left behind the Holy Spirit to guide the disciples, to usher in the age of the church, to guide us today. And that brings us to the other side of this narrative arc. So we've been climbing with Israel. We've been going up and going up and going up. And Israel fail of their own accord. They, they did silly things. And we tried to follow the law, but they failed. Sometimes they just said, I don't even care. And sometimes we do the same thing. We just don't care. Or we, we intentionally walk away from God. But because Jesus entered the story, everything has changed. Everything is different. So turn with me to 1 Peter. We're going to jump way over into the New Testament. In 1 Peter chapter 2. So Peter's writing this to a scattered people of God, kind of all over the land. And so starting in verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God, and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe this stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message which is also what they are destined for. Now, Peter acknowledges that the people of God, this, this nation of Israel, and, and who have come into the fold, he acknowledges that they are destined to disobey the message. They are destined to disobey the law. That was set up a long time ago, way back, what we read in Exodus. But that's what Jesus was for. He was there to be the catalyst to make that story different, to change everything. So Peter goes on to say in verse 9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
I think Peter very intentionally chooses the words that he says. And he uses the same language here that's in Exodus. You are now a holy nation. You are now a royal priesthood or a kingdom of priests. All this time, after hundreds of years of of waiting, of trying, of hoping, of failing, Israel's finally realized that we finally met, we finally come face to face with this identity that was promised to us hundreds of years ago, generations ago, that while we were hoping to be this kingdom of priests that God said we were going to be, that now we are, and that's come solely by the work of Christ, only because of that. And so for Israel, they had all of this to get there, all these middle chapters. It took them hundreds of years. What's great for us is that we start, we start with already being a holy nation. We start by already being this kingdom of priests. And so our identity, we don't have to wait and hope to become that. We already are. And so for us, what is our middle chapters going to look like? Are we going to act like Israel and try and strive and fail and run away? Or are we going to do, hopefully, what Jesus commanded us to? He says Matthew in 22:38, the greatest command is to love God, and the second is to love others like yourself. He who keeps my commands loves me. And the key word is there is, is love. So what does that mean? How do we live a life that loves? How do we live a life that loves others? I think it means sacrificing. I think it means surrendering. Uh, C.S. Lewis said this on the subject of love. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be brung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell. I think sometimes in order for us to love, we have to give up some of that that me time. And I can't tell you what it looks like for you to how to love God and to love others. It looks different for everybody, but I can tell you just a couple things that Jesus did, ways that he loved. And I think he's a pretty good model for us to follow. For one, he prayed. Even though Jesus was God, over and over and over again, he would retreat from the busyness of life. He would retreat from the crowds. He'd go up on the mountains, and he would spend time with God because that was necessary and vital for him to go out and to love. And maybe for you, you may need to section off a part of your house, a room, an area, a closet, and dedicate that time to prayer. Some of you have a, have a long commute to work. Maybe spend that time praying instead of listening to the radio or music. Um, yes, you can keep your eyes open while you're driving. That won't be an issue. Uh, 
Um, maybe you could go get some worship music and spend that time just praising God on your way to work. But look for places in your life where you can redeem that downtime, and you can spend that time in prayer and spend that time with the Lord. Uh, for two, Jesus invested in others. He intentionally sought out other people, the disciples in particular, to train and to spread his message. And I'd say he did a pretty good job of that, considering that we're still standing here today and there's uh, millions of churches meeting around the globe. But I think that every single one of us has the ability to mentor and to speak wisdom and have a voice in somebody else's life. I know, I know five-year-olds that teach their younger siblings the ropes of how to live life. Uh, so I guarantee there's somebody in your life, if you're over the age of five, uh, that you can mentor and pour into and invest in. promise you that. And lastly, Jesus testified. His entire life was devoted and dedicated to testifying about God, to testifying about himself and to make his name known. And if we truly are to live into this identity that God has given us as a kingdom of priests and as a holy nation, if we are to truly do that, then our lives must also testify to that same living God. So what role will your character play in writing those middle chapters until Christ comes again? What role will you play? So I'm going to pray as Justin comes up and plays a song to close this. Father God, we thank you for this new year and bringing us to this. God, we thank you for the work of Christ in our lives and in all humanity. God, that we don't have to wait and hope and expectation for, for a Messiah to come, but that he already has come. And we thank you for that, God, and we praise you for that. God, may we live a life of love. May we live a life that sacrifices, that loves you first and foremost, Father. And out of that love continues to love others. God, we thank you for this day, Father. May we glorify you in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.